Ronananian. Coupons are programming devices. They're not anything that anybody saves any money on. And if you're dumb enough to believe that you're getting a coupon where you're actually saving money and you're getting something off without paying for it somewhere else along the way, then you're dumber than a bag of rocks. Doctor, The best thing I can do for a guy like this is to send him back to the competition and let him drive them crazy because a guy like that's sure to drive somebody either crazy out of business or just in general keep him so distracted I can keep fixing cars and do what I do best. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Come on in. Sit down. Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor at your service at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Keep in mind, there's information about this radio show out on the web for you at cardoctorshow.com, links to tunein.com, iheart.com, itunes.com, and also keep in mind, if you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. I wonder where common sense went. I know I talk about this all the time. Before we kick open the garage doors, I want to rant for a second, so if you want to hear it, sit down. If you don't, then go make the cup of coffee and come back in about three minutes. I wonder where common sense went. It it, it boggles my mind. Um, you know, sometimes, and I've said this many times over the past 25 years of repairing cars, I don't know if I'm really fixing cars or just collecting information and things to talk about on this radio show. <sighs> 2011 Honda Odyssey rolled into the shop two days ago. You know, the typical mommy mobile. Two kids, one mom. The husband wasn't there, but he's, you know, working. And... I got to hear the story about the chronic, I've been having flat tires ever since we bought the car used in October, four months ago, as a certified used car. The air in the tires keeps going low. And the Honda dealer keeps telling me that they can't find anything wrong with it, that there's really nothing they can do. It's it's normal because it's cold out. And I asked her, I said, does that make sense to you? And she said, not really. She goes, because why would somebody sell a car that would lose air in the tires when it's cold out? What kind of an engineer would design that? She said, don't engineers have common sense? And while I could argue that point, I choose not to because I'm on her side in this case because I think the overruling factor is there's something wrong with the car. It's broken. And what really got my dander up is the fact that, you know, we're letting a young mom with two kids ride around in this car with low air in the tires and the danger that that situation represents, never mind what it does to the tires, never mind how it affects vehicle performance and, and fuel economy, but the danger of a young mom getting stuck somewhere with a flat tire. In this case, it was the right rear that had gone flat. And the phone call sort of came up like this in that it came in and Harry grabbed the call that he came out to the shop and he out to the bays and he said to me, hey, listen, I've got somebody new on the phone. They've they're getting a flat in the right rear. It's it's really getting worse. Can she bring it by about 3.30 this afternoon? She has to wait for the kids to get up and this. Yeah, no problem. You know what? You're always trying to accommodate young moms because young moms are 
Um, you know, young moms are, are, are they got a tough job, you know. it's um, That's a big deal, raising the next generation like that. So she brought the car in. We grabbed the tire, and she had the donut on. AAA had come out and, and, and changed the flat for her. And she left it, and we proceeded to tank it. You know, I got out the, the, the most accurate diagnostic tool in the shop, the tire tank, the thing that nobody ever uses anymore. And I love my tire tank. I've talked about this before also in that it's so simple. You fill it up with water. To me, the tire tank is like a thermos. You ever think about a thermos as an aside? Do you know what makes a thermos such an amazing tool? You put something in it cold, it keeps it cold. You put something in it hot, it keeps it hot. No wires, no batteries, no electric. How does it know? It's the smartest thing on the planet. And I always think of the tire tank when I think of, when I look at it, I always think of a thermos when I look at the other. You put a tire with air into the tire tank, you inflate it to 35 pounds, you look for bubbles. It leaks. Hey, there's the leak. Guess what? We'll fix it. Boy, this isn't hard. And you'll get paid to do this. It's like a concept. In the end, when I talked to her, because we ended up finding the leak, and it was what I had thought, it was a bead leak. And what made me think that it was a bead leak from the get-go was her description to me was that the was that all four tires were leaking and losing air. Not one, not two, not three, all four. Because in the back of my mind, I'm playing the odds. I'm going, gee, if it's got, you know, leaks in all four tires, either her husband works in a nail factory and he took it to work one day, or she's got the worst luck in the world, which I, I can't believe that about anybody, trying to be positive and upbeat. Um, the only person I know who would even come close is my chief engineer, Tom Ray, who somehow manages to hit a big chunk of metal in the middle of a snowstorm um, or, or some such thing on a tire that had less than, I don't know, a thousand miles on it. I'm talented. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you're just talented. All right, buddy. Um, it was that magnet in the tire that we used to attract the metal to generate tire sales. So I ended up, in the end, um, gave her a full analysis, wrote it up. And uh, she went back to the Honda dealer to complain. Of course, the Honda dealer is prepping her because they're telling her that her mechanic's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about, to which I said, well, that might be true, but I'm probably right in the sense that I know what I'm talking about because, you know, I've been doing this a while. And I would suggest the Honda dealer Google the name of the shop and see what they're up against before they open their mouths and start making statements that they can't really keep up with because a blind man would see, A, here's the bubbles, here's the leak, and B, the tires are dry rotted and cracked deep in the treads and they need to be replaced and they shouldn't have been sold on a certified used car anyway. And I guess the point of this opening conversation is what can the consumer do? What can you do? How do you, you know, and if you've got a recurring problem, if you're going back and forth with the dealer, with the mechanic, with the used car salesman, stop and think about it. Let's analyze the problem. You know, does it make sense? We had a guy the other day talk about the check engine light is on. Does that mean the car needs a computer? He's tried everything else. And I liken that to the same conversation as the Honda dealer that can't diagnose tires that are losing air. You know, did anybody sit down and think about how the system works, how the circuit operates, and try to diagnose and, 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 and verify in the case of the guy with the check engine light on, it's a code scan. It's a totally different diagnosis. In the case of the lady with the Honda with the four tires, you know, I asked her, I said, did anybody take tires off the car? Oh, no, they just did a visual. They they, they walked around it. They put air in the tires for me. 
And they told me that I would just have to keep in mind because the weather's so cold, I'd have to add air to it on a regular basis because we are heading into winter now, you know. And that was it. I said, so nobody ever took a, a wheel off the car and, and, and tanked it and went through that routine. She says, no, not at all. And then I had the brainstorm. I said to her, and then we'll open the show. I said to her, what if you lived in Alaska where it's cold eight months out of the year instead of six? Does that mean you're adding air to the tires more? Or does that mean you just drive a better vehicle than a Honda? Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the car doctor here. 855-560-9900. It's aggravating because this is like, you know, we let these people operate in a climate that, and they claim that they're fixing cars and they're not. And that's just so angry. That was my rant. How did I do? I stayed calm. I kept my blood pressure down. Hey, listen, speaking of raising blood pressure, somewhere here in my pile of notes, um, 2.30. You got to be, you have to be by the radio at uh, the halfway mark. I shouldn't say 2.30 because we're a network show. Sorry, Tom. I, I got a boo-boo for that. Um, down around the mid-mark, um, down around the 30, uh, halfway through, we're going to be talking to Peter McGillaray from SEMA. And the EPA, have you seen this one? It's in the news. Go Google this. EPA seeks to prohibit conversion of vehicles into race cars. So what this means is everything from the kid that buys the 2002 Honda Accord and puts tires, rims, exhaust, and intake on it, EPA compliant but puts intake and makes modifications to it, he's in violation. The guy with the 39 Ford and the small block conversion or the big block conversion or the guy who makes it into a hot rod, he's in violation. He's out of compliance. The guy with the 55 Chevy, this hits a nerve, is way out of compliance. Um, in other words, the EPA is now stepping up, and I was talking to Peter prior to the show, and they found this in a 600-some-odd-page document, and here's a paragraph that they tried to slip through where the EPA is trying to prevent people from converting vehicles that were production cars into anything other than a production vehicle. So, in other words, don't touch your car, leave it alone as is, trying to, you know, trying to modify Something doesn't work. And when I asked Peter, what's the number? You know, what's this going to cost dollar-wise? I, I think what he said to me was, it's a, thir- you know, aftermarket equipment manufacturer and, 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 and tuning and wheels and tires and engine mods and all that stuff is a $37 billion business. So um, we're going to be talking to Peter down around the bottom of the hour, but I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, I'll return right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. Love isn't the only thing that stinks around here. I understand the control room's having some technical issues. So uh, I think Tom Tom was telling me that. The, and see, here's what goes wrong with cars, right? Computers are in charge. Computers are in charge of this radio show. Tom hit the button to run the uh, bumper there at the 
at the end of that last break, and uh, two things fired off at once. So, and uh, I'm, I'm blaming Harry because yeah. Harry's standing right here. Well, it's got to be Harry's fault. So. <laughs> but um, you know, love doesn't stink for Harry because Harry's just in L O V E. How are you this Valentine's Day, there, bro? Well, I'm doing good. I yeah. ran a 5K this morning out in minus five degree weather. Uh, it was. It's called uh, Cupid's Chase. Just so everybody can look that up, and maybe donate. It's uh, uh, it's helping kids with disabilities and stuff like that. And they run them nationwide, so I figured I'd chip in and donate some money and you do finished. a 5K. And you finished. Yeah, and I actually finished without... It, it, uh, it was cold out there this and, morning. It, let me tell you something. It was cold. But you know, Ron, it's easier to run a 5K when you have love in your heart. Oh, God. Can I say, oh, can, can I say hello to her? Well, you're going to anyway. You so want me to ahead. shut the mic off now, yeah, Ron? Now, or? yeah, real quick. Just turn off the Kentucky affiliates if you could, Tom. <laughs> so hurry up. We're doing a radio show. Hi, Sue. I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay. All right, let's hit it. Are you done now? I'm done. Stand on it, son. What do you got? Uh, Trace is out in Wisconsin. Uh, he's got an 05 Colorado 3.5, and it's got, like, low idle speed, erratic idle speed stuff. Okay. All right, let's see what's All going right. on. Yeah. By the way, this is for you. A little a little kiss from the car doctor and, and technical crow. Uh, there you go. Oh. Trace, welcome to the car doctor and all our nonsense here on Valentine's Day. How are you today, sir? Howdy, not bad. Yeah, what's going on? What do you got here? Um, I can't find anywhere where it says what my RPM idle should be on this old 5. Okay, so and, uh, you know, tell me what's going on. Is the idle high? Is the idle low? It's low. It's, it, it warms up nice, but as soon as it starts to warm up, it just slowly drops down to like 650, 700, and uh, it doesn't stall or anything. But I just feel a little vibration in the steering wheel, maybe. So, is is your concern the vibration, or is your concern where the RPM is? I thought they were both related. That's why I, just in case, you know, if I can feather the gas pedal a little bit, it, it seems to smooth out. But right. I I just think it's just low. Right. Uh, but the but the salesman says that's uh, it's a gas saving measure. That's, they all do that. Well, and I have to tell you, if it's really six fifty seven hundred RPM, that doesn't sound low to me as a spec, just off the top of my head. But you know, the vibration through the steering wheel—how much of a vibration is it? And you know, how many miles are on the truck? One twenty. One twenty. So perhaps we've got some rubber in the motor mounts that's a little tired, and, and that's creating an issue. Is it, a, is it an automatic or a stick? Automatic. Automatic. Um, what if, um, well, a couple of things come to mind. First, no check engine light on, right? No codes in the system? No. Okay. What's the dealer done to try and remedy it? Have they, have they worked on it at all, or this is just you're talking to the salesman? No, I... I only brought it to the salesman. He says, yeah, "Don't worry about it. It's normal." And if uh, something happens down the road, uh, I'm you know where I am. But thing is, it's under warranty yet. Right. You know, but right. You just bought it used, in other words. Right. Okay. So a couple of things. Number one, um, basics. How clean's the throttle body? All right. Uh, the, the the throttle body is the air intake where the throttle plate lives. If the housing is dirty, that can compromise and affect idle speed. I don't think you have a low idle speed problem. I think you have a quality of idle speed problem, all right, in that you can feel it through the steering wheel. Now, you know, the truck's 11 years old. It's got some mileage on it. It's, it, it, it's a little, I won't say it's a bad truck, but it's a little frayed around the edges to a degree. It may not be as smooth at idle as, as something brand new or something newer. So it, this may be a normal condition, but let's cover the basics, all right? 
So I'd like to see somebody clean the throttle body and perform an idle relearn where they're going to take both battery cables off, engine off, obviously, take both battery cables off, put a 1-ohm 10-watt resistor wire between the two battery cables and bleed the memory down, start it back up, and train the idle speed and see what that does for you. All right, does that make a difference? Second thing, if we power brake this in forward and then reverse, can we verify that both engine mounts are in good condition? Nothing jumps, nothing looks like we've got a broken mount, um, and that's old-school thinking, but it still applies in a lot of cases, just to be sure. And then last, take a look at the trans mount in the back. Make sure that the, the transmission mount isn't broken. Make sure the transmission mount doesn't have debris stuffed up in it. There are some issues with Chevys of the bigger quality, and I've also seen it on some of the smaller ones. as a bulletin for the bigger ones, uh, the Envoys and some of the Acadias and things like that, but I've seen, I, I've seen it on the smaller vehicles too where rocks and debris get up into the trans mount and it actually transmits vibration backwards you know, or through the floor pan from the back of the powertrain instead of where you're thinking from that it's from the engine. So it's just a different end of the powertrain to look at. All right? Okay. No, I was banking on it. It's a, a very reputable dealership, but uh, I suppose that doesn't mean anything, huh? Well, you know, and then, and then part of the conversation has to be that this is a salesman telling you this. You know, right. you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's the way I can get it in. Yeah. You know, well, why can't you get in? Why can't you call the service advisor or service writer and say, listen, I just bought this truck. And I'm being told that this is a, a, a normal vibration. Why can't somebody take a look at it and tell me, is this normal or is this, you know, what do they think? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely that'll my, think. That'll be my next step. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, listen, I said it to a customer this week in the shop. There's no such thing as a new customer. All right. And there isn't. There's no such thing in this world in any retail business as a new customer. There's only somebody that got annoyed at the last place they were going, whether it be a repair shop a bakery, a barbershop, or what have you, and their concerns weren't met and addressed in a proper manner that forced them to go somewhere else. And, you, you know, they've got to understand that, that here you are, here's a guy who bought a truck from them. Like you said, very reputable dealership. You're just looking for somebody to take care of it. So by all means, and if not, send them pack and trace and uh, find somebody else to look at it. But by all means, let's get it in there, let them to look at it, and uh, give me a call. Let me know what it transpires into and what it becomes. Hey, Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. The conversation with SEMA over the EPA banning coming up next. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor here. Attention, Car Doctor Nation. There's a storm brewing on our horizon. We've got a, I've got a press release uh, regarding a recent EPA ruling in front of me. We're just going to jump right into this. Washington, D.C., February 8, 2016. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has proposed a regulation to prohibit conversion of vehicles originally designed for on-road use into race cars. And without wasting any more time in discussing it there, I want to discuss it here on air with someone who can answer all our questions, a gentleman by the name of Peter McGillivray. He is the SEMA. He is from the organization of SEMA. He's the vice president of communications. And um, I've spoken to Peter. I sp- when I was talking to him before the show, I remember speaking to Peter a good four or five years ago about another topic. But uh, we're glad to have him back here. Peter, welcome back, sir. 
Thank you. Thanks. Really appreciate this opportunity to, to reach out to all of your listeners and uh, bring them up to speed with uh, what we've got going on. Yeah, What? and let's just go right to that. What is going on here? Well, for decades, uh, we all have enjoyed the ability to take uh, emission-certified vehicles and uh, modify them for for use on racetracks, whether you're an off-road racer or a uh, race uh, on a, on a NHRA drag strip or um, in a, any other form or fashion of, of racing, you've, ha- you've enjoyed that freedom to modify your vehicle and go racing. And uh, recently, the EPA has issued a rule that would um, prohibit that. And um, that is a very big and substantial uh, change for us. And as the advocates for the industry, we, uh, we're going to do our best to make sure that, uh, that that language never becomes law. Now, for example, um, when we say race car, so does this prevent the guy with the, um, you know, 2016 Camaro? from putting a cold air intake kit on it and taking it to the racetrack on an occasional weekend attempt? Or is this strictly you know, taking think, a car off the road and making it into a full-fledged race car? Where's the standard? It's, it, it would be a modification that would be um, much more significant than a cold air intake because a, a cold air intake, in most cases, does not um, impact the um, emissions standard of that vehicle. Right. But uh, you don't go too much further down the, the modification chain to, um, to take a vehicle out of compliance. And that today is okay as long as that vehicle isn't driven on a public street. Um, that's okay if that vehicle is is on a race course. Um, And that's the way it's been for decades. This proposed rule would prohibit that and eliminate that. And um, that impacts thousands and thousands of enthusiasts and businesses. Um, You know, the SEMA member companies employ over a million workers in the United States alone. So what they're doing... In other words, and it's an even smaller percent of the population than I imagined. They're they're worried about the people that are making that 2016 Camaro into a full-fledged race car, never driving it on the street again, and perhaps using it on uh, um, a, a Watkins Glen style, a roundy-round course or drag strip on the weekends six months out of the year. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. The the practical um, impact that this has on um, damaging, you know, gases and emissions is infinitesimally small. And, and in fact, they, they have absolutely no data on the impact that it would, that it would have um, on the environment. But uh, we can very clearly demonstrate how many people this would impact and the, the amount of, you know, the $36 billion industry that this would jeopardize. Well, that's my, that was my next question. How big is the you know aftermarket equipment industry thirty six billion dollars and uh, you know that's such a huge trunk a million American workers and we're going to put these people out of business for something that amounts to a pimple on a flea's behind 
um, for lack well, of a better it, way it, to say it. It really is even. It's really even smaller than that. It is. Um, it it really and, is. And 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 that's that's the disconnect that we're working hard to um, to clear up. And we're really grateful for the thousands and thousands of enthusiasts that are out there that have joined us in uh, in our SEMA Action Network and. Um, in our online petition to uh, to let the president know that we're we're unhappy about this and and want him to take some action. So when I first read this, Peter, in the back of my mind, I went, "Well, I guess this wipes out NASCAR." And then I realized NASCAR are all purpose-built cars, tube frames, etc. But then I started going back in my mind, and I'm thinking, "Well, where's the nearest example of a production vehicle?" that is modified into a race car. And the first thing that came to my mind, dirt track racing, right? The dirt track racers. You, 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 sure. you, right? Sure. So you're telling me the guy that takes that that 75 Camaro and, you know, runs it as a, as a street stock car, uh, you know, with its stock 352 barrel small block Chevy, and that's it. So we're going to just wipe out dirt track racing all across America. And, 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 and that's so what this is against. Every make and model that is emission certified, and my apologies for not knowing exactly when that emission certification started, but virtually every vehicle on the road today that is modified for for track use um, would would become illegal, and um, and there there's all kinds of fines and and things that are in the law that would um, that would come into play. And I don't think it matters at what point, what year it's, this is a, you know, if, if the 72 Chevy is a violation and the 71 is not, if the 91 Chevy is a violation and the 90 is not, I think it's the principle, if they get this through at some way, shape, and level, what's next? Then, yeah. then, well, it, it is unfair and unreasonable. Um, and I think that... Uh, it, it is time for us to send a message and to ask the people that represent us to uh, to eliminate this unfair language. Now, what can we do? What can the listeners do if they want to get involved? Well, there's there are a lot of things, luckily, that uh, that that are out there. There are um, something as simple as going to SEMA.org and joining the over 100,000 plus. Uh, people who have already signed our petition, you can reach out to your local elected official and with a phone call or a letter and let them know. There are all kinds of Facebook pages and and other ways to voice your opinions. But the the, the best thing to do is to to do something and right. please start with our petition. Right, and I think I have to say that. Even if you're not a person who watches a race, even if you don't know what a race car is, I think you have to realize, uh, you know, from a perspective of as an American, you're losing a freedom, you're losing a liberty by allowing this to go through. And you always have to ask yourself, what's next? Because in my mind, the government's overstepping their bounds. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And not only are they overstepping their bounds in the language in this provision, which incidentally is buried in a 629-page document, but um, the path that they're taking is questionable, and and really, it, if you a reasonable person will raise an eyebrow 
as to how this is is playing out and um we're just uh, grateful that we're representing this industry and um can can make an impact yeah well and then if this goes through in my mind does the you know is is the hot rodding is the cruising industry next the guy who you know has the 55 chevy or the or the or the or the 63 ford uh you know that cruises the summer nights and and relives that era you know the muscle car era are those cars next and um yeah. you know where's where's the limit peter we appreciate the opportunity again the website if the listeners want to get more information about this SEMA.org. SEMA.org, S-E-M-A.org. As always, sir, a pleasure. We won't make it four or five years in between the next conversation. Let's stay in touch. <laughs> okay. All right? Thank you so much. You're very welcome. You take good care. I'm Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Take my advice. If you love someone, don't think twice. Love you, baby, love. Sugar, baby, love. Love her every day. Welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. I want to, once again thank Peter McGivillray from SEMA for taking the time. I know he's busy out there today. He's uh, in the midst of... They were actually working overtime this weekend trying to solve this problem with the EPA. So uh, um, this is a big situation. If you want more information, again, about what the EPA is trying to do to how we you know, approach and work on our cars uh, in terms of converting them into race cars and who knows what's next, get out to SEMA.org, S-E-M-A.org. Um, let's get over to the phones. Let's go over and talk to Emery in Maui, Hawaii. Emery, I want to start this conversation by saying it's... Uh, let's see, what is it? It's... It's uh, six degrees out there today, so anytime we want to do a remote in Hawaii, we're 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 ready to come and uh, join you guys. You just say the word. Welcome to the car, doctor, sir. Emery, is Emery there? Uh oh, Emery. Emery went surfing. Okay, let's get over and talk to Candace in Louisiana and see what's going on here. Candace, welcome to the car, doctor. How can I help? Oh, hi. Great. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. What's going um, on? I, I have a question. I have a 1993 GMC Suburban with a 450 engine in it. Okay. And it runs great. And I've well, been using uh, Lucas upper cylinder lubricant gas treatment. Okay. And it smoothed out my idle real nice, and it has increased my gas mileage tremendously. And I was just wondering if you knew if there was any problem with using this product every time I fill up my car. I haven't, you know, I'm not familiar with the product per se, that exact product, Candace, and I suspect it's because I think I think auto repair is a regional phenomenon. I think if I divided the country into seven sections, each one has its own set of components and parts and things that are more readily available than others, and particularly in, in problems that they face because of environment and weather. Um, in, in terms of Lucas overall, though, we do use their trans additive in the shop and their engine oil treatment in the shop from time to time. And I've got to say that the stuff works well. Lucas has an excellent reputation. And I, I've, I haven't encountered a situation where somebody used the Lucas product 
and they had an issue directly as a result of that product. So, you know, my only concern would be what do the instructions on the bottle say? I can't imagine them saying not to use it every treatment, uh, every time you fill up, but I can't imagine it being a problem. Do they say anything specific in directions on the bottle itself? No, they don't. And actually, I've smelled it. It's just kind of oily. It doesn't have anything uh, right. like solventy in it or anything like that. But the reason I use it every time is because my gas mileage is just so much better when I use it. So then about a month ago, I thought, you know, let me fill up my tank and run my car without it. And my just my car just sucked the gas out of there just so quickly. When and, you uh, when you're when you're measuring your fuel economy, how are you doing it? Are you setting the odometer and then doing the math when you put gallons in, or is it just on a sense of how fast it disappears out of the tank? Well, my odometer isn't working, unfortunately. Okay. But I fill up my car once a month, and I drive it quite a bit every day. Right. Right. And without it, I have to fill it up two and three times a month. Um, I I kind of think. You know, you know me, I'm going to be one for a scientific method. I think without the odometer there, it's not a fair judgment on whether or not your fuel economy is actually better. Um, you know, my understanding of, a, of, of most of the fuel treatments on the market, and again, I haven't encountered the Lucas, but I've got to say it from this perspective, it's there as a result for preventing carbon deposits buildup and to keep the rings lubricated in the, in the grooves and, and, and not have any issues with them sticking. So, you know, I'd probably stop spending so much money on the additive and, quite honestly, get the odometer fixed if you could because knowing how knowing what the mileage is on the vehicle for oil change and maintenance um, would probably be a big benefit in the future, and then at least you could calculate your fuel economy directly. I hope that does it for you, Candace. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on Needing the Car Doctor. This is the kinder, gentler Dr. Car Doctor, Dr. Love episode, the Valentine's Day edition of the Car Doctor, by the way. If you notice, I was nice and calm this hour. I opened the hour nice and calm as much as I wanted to yell about that. It also helped uh, for the stuff we put in your water beforehand. Yeah, it was. you guys You guys definitely have subdued me this hour, but um, it was nice to talk to everybody on this Valentine's Day hour of the Car Doctor. A couple of things. Um, if you get out to the Car Doctor Facebook page, I just want to make sure you know there's more information about the uh, ongoings with EPA and uh, deleting the or prohibiting uh, race car use, converting cars into race cars. Uh, we've got a conversation there. We've got some information um, about that. We've also got some information interesting to note about. Um, I came across a recent video, and it's a study on the carbon footprint impact of electric vehicles versus gas vehicles. And it's interesting to note that the electric vehicle has a higher carbon footprint than the gas vehicle like go figure that out and yet we're we're supporting this and the only way we make electric vehicles work in this country is because our tax dollars are going to directly support it we're paying people to drive electric vehicles in a sense because um we're trying to clean up the air but yet we're we're not in the long run makes a lot of sense right as much as the epa ruling so i want to get that out of the way also i want to remind you that coming up february 18th february 18th tom you know what february 18th is real quick no 
February 18th is National Battery Day. There you go. And uh, the folks over at Meineke, the uh, car care experts at Meineke, uh, want to make everybody aware that February 18th is National Battery Day. And if your car won't start, now's the time to get in there and do a little bit of a diagnosis. You can get more information at Meineke.com. And then last but not least, it's Valentine's Day. CarStar, the folks at CarStar, CarStar.com, want to talk to you about why you love your car. We thought it would be a nice commentary on Valentine's Day because we know how much everybody loves their car and how important them they are to everybody here in America. So CarStar.com for more information about that experience. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.